Welcome to Everything But Sports, the podcast where we talk about everything but sports. I'm Tina Hassania. And I'm Mallory Andrews. So we both really love this movie. Yes. Uh, I've only seen it once at the festival and you've seen it twice, including today. And when did you see it during TIFF? The first Saturday. So it was one of the first ones I saw. So I've seen like a couple dozen movies since then. So before the like absolute exhaustion of... Before the, absolute, yeah, before the episode of Exhaustion, but it was on a four-screening day. It was the second movie of a four-screening day, so it was right. on a day, that, probably the day that made me exhausted. <laughs> I saw it, um, I saw it on like one of the last days, because I got a public ticket, and uh, it was nice. I was, I always like being pleasantly surprised by things that I don't know too much about, instead of like, um going to things that I like know are going to be good. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like I didn't know much about the subject. I didn't really know about like anyone who like was in the film other than the cast. Uh, and I was going purely by recommendations uh, like you mm-hmm. and Charles, as we discussed in our last podcast. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those things where I really like ending TIFF with like good movies like that. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, where you've through, especially if you're working the festival, you're through your obligations and you still have time to see yes. movies. So you try to see stuff that you think you'll probably like. Yes. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I think like Lady Bird would have been that for you. Cause I went to go see it the same night that you went to go see Right, Lady yes. Bird. Yeah. Uh, Lady Bird would have been that for me. I don't think I liked Lady Bird as much as you liked Professor Yeah, Professor that's true. At all. Um, uh, which isn't to say I didn't like Lady Bird at all. But, um, but yeah, Professor Marston is sort of like stuck with me. I wish I had gotten a chance to see it again, but it just couldn't happen today. The, the other thing that's interesting is that it didn't quite occur to me uh, when Charles was talking about the disc theory but this was something that I like very loosely studied in one of my psychology classes and that I know better because it's a common uh, personality test Mm -hmm. that's given in occupational psychology settings. Uh, And I had to do one at my last office job and the, they basically taken his theory and they've turned it into a way to like determine um, you know, of the, the four letters, like D-I-S-C, like which type you are. Okay. And uh, based on what type you are, you communicate in different ways, you have different needs, you work differently, you work differently within teams. And so D being dominant is the dominance, like the people who are dominant. Yeah. And they're the really bossy ones and they just want to get stuff done. Um, and then the I is I'm an I. We're just like fun loving people. Who, what, what does I stand for again? Inducement? I is inducement. Um, and then uh, S is submission and mm-hmm. C is compliance. And I don't remember the S and the C so well in terms of the, the personality because it's not as clear cut. Because in so, his. Submission and compliance are, it's like a very. In terms of what the words mean, they're very similar, but coming from are motivated by different things. By different things, because as the movie illustrates, like 
Um, so his, th- his psychological theory was that people do want to submit to a loving authority. Those are his benevolent authority. Yeah. That's Those professor. His, that's Marston. That's professor Marston's idea. And, and it's, a, and it's, I mean, it's a good theory, I think, given that, that it was coming out in like the twenties. Yeah. It's psychologically um, sound. Yeah. It, it was definitely much more interesting in my opinion than like Freud, but anyways, um, and so from what I remember doing the test in an office setting was that I think C is like the C's are more, um, they like to work together. Mm-hmm. They like to figure out ways to work together. They like analyzing data, stuff like that. That might be, that might be S too. I don't remember what S is. I think S's are just like literally submissive, but there's more going on there that I don't yeah. recall. All I remember is that the eyes were like the chatty chatterboxes who won't <laughs> shut up. We have a flair for drama. We tend to be loud, aka why the microphone is closer to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some people can be um, can score high on two domains. So it was kind of funny that I was like calling it Dick's theory, and then Dick's sure theory, enough, I was like, "Hey, I actually know what this is." <laughs> I know. I was surprised when you're like, "I've never heard of that." Yeah. I thought that was like there's so what? many theories. There are. Like I, I psychology classes are like 99 percent memorization. So like I it don't is a lot anything. of like acronyms. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the movie, um, the thing you said you noticed that we were talking a bit on the elevator oh, yeah. down, the thing you noticed this time around are, were the more conventional biopic aspects, which Absolutely. is something, it was something I recognized the first time yeah, as yeah. well. Um, it's just that like, you know, when I first watch a movie, I tend to let the emotional yeah, side like of it sort of wash over me and I'm open to that. And especially since you weren't watching it with the mind of reviewing, reviewing it the first it. time, you exactly. can just sort of not be quite so like, how does this work as a movie? And just sort exactly. of let yourself be carried away by it. I mean, like we, I think we've talked about this before about how, like, I, I know for me, I, it's like, in, I'm incapable of ever really doing that, but like I can at the same time, it just yeah. has to be the right setting. So I, it's like, yeah, I'm not reviewing it, but also like I'm at the end of the festival and I'm like done with all my assignments yeah. and I can just sit back and relax. And just like let know? a movie happen in front of your face. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know that's not one that I saw for, I saw um, for any work related reasons, mm-hmm. but um, I am a, I've written a lot about biopics mm-hmm. in terms of um, just in terms of what works and what doesn't work. Biopics in general, I don't like biopics. Yeah, because I th- and and because, because so like often they're just so contrived. Yeah, so contrived, so bland, and it's because the um, uh, people's lives and the sequence of events that unfold aren't are almost never narratively satisfying because life doesn't yes. work that way. Yeah. So biopics always tend to, or rather conventional biopics, because there's some very unconventional ones out there that I do think are very good. Right. Conventional biopics tend to treat life events as like signposts that they have to hit. Like, okay, now we have to do this scene. Okay, now we have to do this scene in the order in which it happened in yes. somebody's life until yes. we get to the end of whatever goal. And they all tend towards. to be very similar in that they have serious, they're usually very serious, very like serious. almost like character studies and then like you know there's some humor thrown in yeah but the type of humor that tends to be thrown in is the sort of like smug hindsight yes where it's like we know what's going to happen in the story so there's a lot of very cute references to like and it happens in professor marston and i like remember this moment happened i was like oh my god which one um where um 
Uh, this is after the three of them are living together and Marston is coming up with his idea for Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and he's explaining it to um, uh, uh, his, his partners, um, his wife, Elizabeth, and um, their partner, Olive. Yeah. He's explaining basically what Wonder Woman is. No, it's like about a woman who uh, woman who was born on an island full yes. of women, yeah. yada, yada. Basically the plot of yes. Wonder Woman. Um, and Elizabeth's like... Honey, I love you, but nobody in a million years is going to publish this story. And then, of course, smash cut to an establishing shot of the publisher who does, in fact, publish it. And, yes. like, as soon as that happened, I was like, like, as she was saying it, I'm like, it's going to smash cut to the, like, yeah, of course. the people who publish it. Yeah. Um, it's funny because as soon as you started talking about that, I, I just, as soon as you started talking about, like, biopics being terrible, like, do not go see Rebel in the Rye because it is, like, it's, like, the most recent biopic that I saw and it is just full of things like that like yeah. full of people in in the movie being like you'll never be famous exactly. it's like or like, yeah. or like his character of like Holden Caulfield just being like totally like I don't get this or like no one's gonna get this or no one's no gonna one will ever this. no one will ever yeah. ever uh, um <laughs> what's the, identify with this yeah, character exactly yeah. so much um, of that. yeah so it's guilty of that it's guilty of a lot of like Okay, now we have to cross a lot of time. Let's here's a montage. Here's another yes, montage. There are way too many montages. Too many film. montages. Yeah. Very gauzy um, sex scenes. I wanted to talk. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the sex scenes. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk we'll about. Um, but why don't we well, like we uh, we don't really have much time today. So why yeah. don't we start with um, the part of the movie that we do like, which for us is the. Um, the section, the, the latter half of the movie is much more to do with um, the creation of Wonder Woman and the various controversies that came up by that because Marston sort of imbued his stories with um, diss theory and, mm-hmm. and he sort of illustrated um, dominance and submission whatnot with through um, bondage, which is mm-hmm. why Wonder Woman has the lasso. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was controversy around that. But the first act of the movie takes place in the 20s and it's mostly about the relationship between him and his wife and um, the student of theirs, Olive, who mm-hmm. they hire to be their um, um, research assistant. Yes. And as soon as they spot her in his class um, and they're sort of talking about her, like seeing her on campus or whatever, it, I mean, it, it, like it's, it's, it's such a movie that's like clearly about psychologists because of the way that they're talking about the various students and the way that the students are like socially interacting with one another in relation to Olive. I really like that conversation a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also, I think like immediately establishes right off the bat, like some things about Elizabeth, which is like, she's an incredibly smart, savvy woman who understands the limitations of her gender, which is being entrapped by beauty, Mm -hmm. for example. And she's like, she has absolutely no qualms talking about it and talking about it in relation to Olive and she Mm -hmm. does it a little too soon and comes off a little too brash um, when she says please do not fuck my husband yeah um Uh, yeah, and, and and also like in that moment when they're sort of reserving her, she's like, "Do whatever you want with her. Yeah. Like, I don't feel sexual jealousy at yes. all. So you can do whatever you like." Um, but she does feel professional jealousy. That's she does. Of, yes, but she does like, feel professional jealousy. But because is she of being the, totally honest there too, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think it's um uh because 
it's not just like deciding to sleep with the students. It's deciding to sleep with a student who is also hired to be a research yes. assistant. That sexual jealousy and professional jealousy become linked. Yes. Um, and I also think maybe she there was also some sexual jealousy there yeah, as well. Because absolutely. it's a completely normal thing to happen yes. in um, even in open relationships. Yeah. Um, not in every situation is going to be the same. No. You are allowed to change your mind. Yep. And... Um, and you're because also, they're because they're psychologists, I love how anytime there was a conflict, they all sat down and talked about it. I know, I know. And it it's funny because and just going back to the jealousy thing, I think that like a lot of people who are in open relationships, they do it's like they can f- have the feelings of jealousy. And the important thing is what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't hold it back, you can't hide it, you can't run away from it. Um, but you might also be able to overcome it. Yeah. And the way that to overcome it is to communicate, which is exactly what they do. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it, you know, the reason I think that both you and I really love this movie is that, um, it's a different kind of relationship. It's a, it's an alternative, um, kind of relationship that's not socially acceptable. Even today, I would say it carries a lot of stigma and the way that they are able to make it work is by having really, really healthy communication habits. And that's what the first half of the film is about. Mm -hmm. And I think that it does a really good job of um, showing those things and also playing with humor that's sort of inherent in that, but also not relying on on humor as a crutch. Like when there are moments of of like real earnestness and like vulnerability, especially on the part of Olive. Mm -hmm. Um, And as it turns out, like Elizabeth as, as brilliant as she is um, and as hilarious as she is, I think she's like Rebecca Hall is, is such such a great perform performer um, in that movie. Um, But uh, the, what was I going to say? She's definitely the most sort of, I think, bound, no pun intended, by social expectations. And I think part of that is because of being maybe too much of a um, pragmatist, like being like, we can't have this kind of love. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just unacceptable just because we believe in it or just because we experience love doesn't mean we could actually do it. Um, So she's the one who's really, really, really reluctant. Um, and like she believes it's possible to feel that kind of love, but doesn't, but doesn't believe that love is enough to make such a thing to over, yeah, yeah, to overcome the, um, just the structures that are set up by society. Mm Mm-hmm. That say but democracy that, wins yeah. in the case of the three of them because the other two are like, well, <laughs> let's try it. <laughs> we don't know any other way to yeah. feel. So, yeah. Um, uh, I agree with all of that. Um, uh, the, the reason I went to see the movie was because of the... Um, um, uh, polyamorous relationship don't between the three. Like, don't you have like a list? I have, a, I have a running list on Letterboxd. Um, called poly positive movies. And how many movies are there? Um, it's my last count. It's like a small, it's like across the entire history of film and mostly, um, maybe not across the entire history. Cause I haven't seen that many movies, but I've like commissioned people's suggestions, but speci- specifically movies that are positive depictions of polyamory where in the, um, uh, um, the central conflict is not about how um, polyamory does not work. 
mm-hmm. or uh, love triangles ending in just like jealousy or just one, picking one person, but where it's posited that perhaps um, non-monogamous relationships can possibly work or, mm-hmm. or it's offered as a possible happy ending. It te- what ten- and the sort of trend that I saw was in pre-code Hollywood movies. Yeah. There was a lot of play with like sort of infidelity. Um, so which, which is funny because that would have been around the time that yeah, these that guys is, would have been in a poly relationship. Yeah. I mean, the movie that really kicked it off, I, like this sort of stemmed out of like a series of conversations that I've had with various people about um, – uh, depictions of non-monogamy in movies and like the number one movie that kept coming up was Design for Living. Yes. Um, so I decided just to try to make up a list of... Because um, how many could there possibly be? I mean... Yeah, and when the list first started like off the top of my head it was like maybe five movies over... And I've, I've seen a fair... I haven't seen every movie obviously but I've seen a fair amount of... Yeah movies. Um, but, and this is And this has been gone and going as I've like sought things out or seen things. Right. But it's um, it's about sixteen right now, and I haven't vetted all of them because some of these yeah. have been suggested. Okay. Um, so can I can I just ask before you launch into that? What is the most recent one after um, be- like sorry before Professor Marston? Probably Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of figured that would probably be it. Uh, which was like. Basically, they just tend to be few and far in between. And even then, um, like somebody, several people suggested Jules and Jim to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, like, have you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Like the way, like it ends like with her so torn up about having to choose between yeah. the two that she kills herself. Yeah. That's not, that's not a positive depiction. No, it's, it like, it's like just because, just because it features uh, a threesome, like, I mean, not as a sexual thing, but I mean, like, as, as, as a trio of, like, lovers does not mean that it necessarily, like, is what you're going after, yeah. which is positive depictions of polyamory. Right, which is sort of where, um, how design for living works. It's the same, yes. like, um, gender um, dynamic as Jules and Jim, where mm-hmm. it's a woman who um, can't choose between two men. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there's sort of there's jealousy between that happens, but basically by the end of the movie, it, they decide like they can't live without each other. without each other. So they've decided that they're just gonna all three of them live together. And I mean, it's it's a similar thing. Like I don't want to give the impression here that Professor Marston, you know, it, like begins with the three of them being like, okay, that's it. Like there's there's quite a bit of. Um, struggle in terms yeah, of uh, yeah. And what I mean by like coming around yeah, to the idea. What I mean by a positive depiction is that ultimately the movie's message is that this can work. And I think that uh, one of the or things that we're supposed to be on the side, the side of, of the it. Relationship. Yes, it's, yeah. it's insofar as it's positive. Like it's not. I mean, it's like you could say it's sex positive. I think it, you could say maybe a more applicable word would be love positive. Yeah. Right. And um, I think that that's a really important way of showing that this kind of relationship, while rare and while many people, you know, it might not be for them or, you know, it's very easy to look down on this kind of relationship. I think that ultimately the point of Professor Marston is to show that, no, the three people who are in this relationship are extremely happy uh, the way that they are. And um, what is holding them back is society's 
reactions Mm -hmm. to, to them. Um, and I don't think that that part, I I think that it's like it, you know, it's definitely not as taboo as it would have been in the, in the twenties and thirties, um, and forties, but, um, I still think that there is a ridiculous stigma that's attached to any kind of, uh, you know, open relationship, any yeah. kind of non-monogamous relationship, any kind of non-monogamous relationship. There's, it's, there's, they're under a lot more scrutiny. Any sign of trouble is seen as like, oh, then obviously, then yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. Yeah, um, which um, ratio-wise doesn't make sense because there's a lot of monogamous relationships that exactly. have things in them that don't work, but nobody writes off misogyny no. as a thing in general that doesn't work. Mi- it's all to do with monogamy, the, yeah, huh? <laughs> Misogyny? Oh, did I say misogyny? Yes. Misogyny misogyny doesn't work. I mean, they go kind of hand yeah. in hand, don't they, sometimes? <laughs> yes, the uh, the social constructs of marriage and monogamy do not... Uh, women don't come off well in general in that. No. But um, but what's interesting about this movie is that... Po- um, and, and some of the movies on my list is positing a positive example of polyamory within a mainstream film. Yes, yes, yes. And in Professor Marston specifically, there are several mechanisms in place to sort of ease that transition. Mm-hmm. One of them being that it's a fairly conventional biopic. Exactly. And I and I think that, like, you know, ultimately I come around to this movie because there are so few depictions of this subject, and I think that the subject is an important one in terms of, like, um, being a pretty socially progressive cause. I think that you know, uh, that sexual taboos, um, like this one are fucking like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that like any movie that sort of furthers that cause that isn't totally (laughs) like, um, a hack product, um, should be valued. And and that's why I sort of come around. Like it is, it yeah. is excellent in many ways, despite how conventional it is. And it's, and like that first act specifically, it's almost like it, does away with the more conventional like signposting that I was talking about earlier yeah. and like really sort of settles in like this is the relationship this is how it started this is how the dynamics of the three of them work together and, and how their evolved. personalities sort of bump up against each other and then how yes. it evolves and then they get into like more okay this is how Wonder Woman was created this yes. is how this this and this happened yeah. um uh, within the narrative, they actually, interestingly, they use one of the sort of, um, uh, true life events that happened as a way of making the relationship seem more plausible, namely the invention of the lie detector mm-hmm. test, mm-hmm. um, the polygraph test, the polygraph test. Poly- Polyamorous graft. <laughs> no, that's not what it stands for. Which they, um, which they use to basically find out who's in love with whom. Yeah. But also as in terms of the way that they're actually like troubleshooting it. Cause it, they haven't quite figured it out yet. Yeah. The main couple. And it's really like the contributions of their assistant Olive that allows them to finally like get that last piece. Yeah. But there's, um, but yeah, sorry. I, I keep interrupting. You. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, cause everything you're saying is correct. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the, so the the, uh, the lie detector test uh, is a thing that happened. It illustrates how integral Olive is to their relationship. So it acts as a metaphor for their relationship yes. because this thing doesn't work without her. Yeah. Um, 
it also is used to further the uh, the relationship because in the course of um, asking each other questions while each of them are hooked up, they find out about the fact that the three of them all have feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. Olive has feelings for the couple. Elizabeth mm-hmm. has feelings for her husband and Olive. And Marston has feelings for his two Wonder Women. Yeah. Um, but also, it... In, uh, in terms of illustrating something for the audience, the audience of a mainstream Hollywood film, um, or rather the intended audience, which would be the audience of mainstream Hollywood films who may or may not um, be coming to this movie with as much open-mindedness as you, you yes. and I, the way that this functions is making it plausible that somebody could love two people at the same time. Exactly. Because they're hooked up to a lie detector test, yes. so they must be telling the truth. That's right. Yeah. Um, which Absolutely. I thought was... So clever. Yes. Because you've got to get people over that particular, or, or presumably you need to get some people over that particular hurdle of even buying into this relationship in the first place. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Especially from the perspective of Will Marston, I think. Like, I think that a lot of people who are maybe more on the open minded spectrum side might understand the concept of a bisexual woman Mm -hmm. like oh like loving both a man and a woman but as soon as you have a man who is in a relationship with two women I think that makes people immediately scoff like that can't be allowed that can't be good like oh he's got to have it all there's very specific like Mm. power issues exactly Which is why, again, I think the movie made the smart decision in sort of really not having Marston drive that relationship, but have the real sort of, um, the real romance actually happens between Elizabeth and Olive. Yeah. And it's, and it's a lot of their dynamics that, um, create both a lot of, uh, tension, Mm -hmm. um, both good and bad. Like, and, and going back to the disc theory, it's really Olive who is able to, induce Elizabeth to come around to certain things, including the idea of them living together, including the idea of them trying out, um, S and M. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but at the same time, uh, their relationship in particular, um, you see the way that Elizabeth is prone to, she is the one who's most resistant to actually being earnest talking about her feelings despite mm-hmm. being a psychologist and she's the first one to rebuff. She immediately like pushes away. And this is something that she does a few times. Yeah. The film. She's the one that's most likely to establish her dominance. Yes. And, um, needs to be induced to submit. Yes. Um, cause the, the act of saying like, don't fuck my husband as like the first thing you say in like your one-on-one meeting yeah. with your like new hire is an act of dominance. Absolutely. Like you're trying, you're establishing like not just your professional dominance, but your sexual yeah. dominance in this particular relationship. But the way that this relationship needs to work is that they need to sort of be egalitarian as yeah. like a three-way partnership. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because, uh, I'm trying to remember who was on Twitter. Someone asked if there was a lot of naked Luke Evans in this film. And I was like, Oh, you're going to be so disappointed. There is <laughs> almost n- nothing. No nudity. There's no. just the one scene where they're caught. Uh, yeah. And there's, there is that, there's one, um, sex scene, um, when they're, f- when they're first giving in. And yeah, it's like the initial sex scene the st- at the stage, yeah. with all the costumes that they put on. And like the, what, the Harvard's college, drama department? I guess so. Um, I guess the drama department and the psych department were like, next door to each other. Yeah. 
Um, but that, but that's also like you know they see like one of the not a Greek tragedy, not a Greek tragedy. It's like Greek mythology play of some kind, and uh, Olive's walking by, and of course the Greek mythology stuff is also what fuels Marston's ideas for Wonder Woman as yeah. well. Um, but uh, what I was going to say about that sex scene is just that I think you see Rebecca, you see Rebecca Hall's like nipples. Um, when she's lying down at some point. But otherwise, there's very little nudity mm-hmm. and, um, like, actual nudity, though the sex scenes themselves, we want to talk about this. So yeah, we, we do. Okay, it. yeah. So, like, are you specifically thinking of that first one? I mean, yeah, like, they're, they're all kind of similar, in my opinion. They, they all have, like, that brassy, like, jazz music. You yeah. Know? Um, they do. They're more playful than they are sexy. Yes. I think the lie detector stuff is sexier than the actual sex scenes. I think by design, um, but that's another. I think there were. I think there seemed to be a concerted effort to make these sex scenes fun, but not necessarily titillating because there are. Because they, I think that would be pushing it too far. Yes. Yeah. Because um, 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 they want to get people to come around to it, so they have to make it like as PG as possible, and as unpornographic fun. as exactly. possible. And the only time where it becomes more um, titillating is the moment when they're caught in that compromising yeah. position, and it's like the three of them naked, tied up together, and the yeah. woman walks in. So, like, and you want that to to that woman to seem like the most shocking thing she's yes. ever seen. Yes. So that's a little bit, but even that's not particularly graphic. It's just no. the context of the situation and like the fact that they're the tied actual up image is, yeah. of them being tied up is suddenly it goes from being like really playful to being really shocking mm-hmm. because of the way that it's framed i think that uh even though that's kind of like a oh fuck we're fucked moment um it's hilarious watching the reaction because elizabeth's immediately like just untie me just yeah untie me and she's so upset <laughs> it's so funny. um but uh but it's interesting to see that they've treated this sort of like very unconventional sex life with the very conventional lens yeah because it like this is is the it's like it's tonally it's like the type of sex scene that you see in any sort of like glossy Hollywood movie of of a of a certain genre like like PG thirteen stuff yeah but, but and it's also, a similar like some people sorry I just interrupted you no it's okay I was um, gonna say like it's it's very similar to what I think like a lot of gay movies have had to do to sort of soften yes the the like outlook of. Of gay rights, right? I'm glad you said that because people have been making charges against Call Me By Your Name Mm -hmm. for shying away from showing graphic sex, but the tone of Call Me By Your Name is similarly, like, we don't often see gay sex um, in movies um, treated in such a conventional way. Like, that's a very conventional way to treat a sex scene where it's like, they fall together in bed and the camera pans away. Yeah. and sometimes I think the charge is like, oh, you shied away from like showing this like very realistic thing because you don't want to offend the sensibilities of an audience. Yes. Yes and no. Yes and no. I think I think you can sort of make both arguments. Yeah. Because I I do think that like there are so few movies that are made about like non-monogamous or sorry, that are there's so few movies that are made that are non-monogamous, that are non-hetero you know, that are not just, like, the very, like, that are non-cis, like, all the, it's just, like, the most normative, like, sexual or romantic relationships out there 
um, those are the ones that dominate the screens. Mm -hmm. And so you have this tiny little slice of movies that depict alternative, you know, um, kinds of love and sex. And, uh, they're never going to be perfect. They're not, because they're never going to fit the myriad of ways that they're being depicted in yeah. like hetero monogamous cis, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the, like, so, there's such a, uh, an imbalance of, um, representation yeah. that no one movie is ever going to satisfy. Yeah. You're right. Um, but, and not, but, and what I think could be argued is that this is using the a cinematic language invented to depict um, cis hetero romance now being used to depict um, non conventional or yes. like non normative romance, and I think that's particularly interesting. Some people's mileage may vary. Some people might not agree. As I tried to make this point last time, I got made fun of by Charles uh, um, about it. Um, uh, and he could be right. I could be. We could be reaching with uh, with that observation. Right. But um, for me, when I was watching it, once I got over my eye rolling over the like conventionality of some of the biopic stuff, and I started to try to break apart. Okay, why would they make that choice? That started to become clear, and I saw more evidence of that as I sort of considered the movie after the fact. It's a hard. It's a hard place to put this kind of movie because. If it, if it had deviated from a very, very, like, you know, like, if it had deviated from the mainstream model, like, Hollywood model of filmmaking, um, I think that it would have definitely, like, made the audience much, much smaller, but it's, you really have to ask about the intentions, too, mm -hmm. and I think that the intentions here are to tell, obviously, a very complex story in the incredibly short amount of time that a biopic has. So all the problems that you were mentioning earlier, biopics tend to be very reductive. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you really have to choose wisely in terms of like what aspects of someone's life are you going to choose? And I think in the case of this, it's, it's trying to do sort of two things at once, which is it's trying to set up how this relationship works, which is why the first half is so good. Mm -hmm. Because I think it, as you were saying, like, especially with the polygraph, and especially about the way that it has these conversations with these three people and the evolution of their relationship together, the three of them, um, it's able to paint a pretty good picture of mm -hmm. that. And it, and it sort of hits a lot of the, you know, a lot, a lot of check marks essentially, um, for being like a, maybe a conventional biopic, but a good biopic, like yeah. something that is like at least it's like emotionally solid. satisfying, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, Whereas like a, there's like, a, like there's a problem with out. like a lot of biopics tend can be very empty because they're relying too heavily on the audience to bring their own emotional attachment to the subject yes. to it rather than trying to build it them uh, build it up absolutely in, within the movie. Whereas with this, it's like there's not really any expectation that people are even going to know who the Marstons were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there's that, um, and then there's the stuff about Wonder Women. And it's Wonder frequently Woman. Wonder Woman, sorry. The Wonder Women. Um, but yes, Wonder Woman and the way that it connects back to both Marston's disc theory 
and the way that it was influenced by the Wonder Women. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily know that it does that stuff as well. Like, there's a lot of voiceovers with Marston talking about... Yeah, writing. because there's the framing device, because he's um, at a hearing uh, with... Um, uh, the, like, National Child Something Association. It's, it's, like it's some... basically investigating um, him and his work for whether or not he's... Um, because it's too kinky. Yeah, harming the children. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but, uh, interestingly, I've talked to a couple people who, who saw this during the festival, um, and some people are like us, and they really like the relationship stuff. Yeah. But there are other people that, like, didn't really care about the relationship stuff and were really more interested in the Wonder Woman things. Right, right. Um, uh, because yeah. th- that's actually another good point. There are very few movies that show how superheroes were created. Or even, right? like, or even like a particular, like um, a, and especially since because, especially since because, yeah. Um, <laughs> especially since the recent release of um, the uh, DC Wonder Woman movie was such a big splash, which yes. we talked about on our podcast. Go back in our archive. You can listen to it. <laughs> um uh, there's renewed interest in this particular superhero in yes. terms of her position as a pop icon. And as a feminist model. Yeah. Um, uh, so in a way, either intentionally or unintentionally, this movie is sort of working in conversation with that film. I think mm-hmm. Professor Marston is a much more feminist movie than mm-hmm. the Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, which absolutely. Which if you listen to both of these discussions, you will probably be <laughs> able to conclude have you read um, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay? No, I've not. Shabon? Well, th- the reason I brought up how like it's interesting to see the creation of, um, of superheroes is because in the case of Wonder Woman, like as this movie depicts, and I, I do think this stuff is interesting, I just think that um, it becomes, it's almost like it's not the film's primary focus. The film's primary focus is, is that relationship, showing the poly relationship. And it spends so much time doing that, and it does such a good job showing that, that by the time Wonder Woman is created and, you know, using this framing device of explaining what Wonder Woman is and how it's, like, this feminist empowering sort of, like, story and why she has to have, like, an alter ego Mm -hmm. and a disguise and all this kind of thing. Um, He's telling this stuff in, in voiceover, and he's explaining things. And I don't think that that stuff is necessarily as effective, but it kind of is at the same time. And the reasons are just most compelling because, you know, usually, I mean, in some cases, um, anyway, uh, the superheroes are depicted because of some very personal thing that really appeals to someone. So in the case of Marston, it's these two brilliant women in his life who sort of, um, have a wide variety of traits, Mm -hmm. right? Um, they're very complimentary in his opinion for him. Um, and he imbues Wonder Woman with those traits and then also brings in the sexual stuff, um, and the sexual dynamics between people in mm-hmm. general, applies his disc theory, um, and yeah, and provides basically a role model for women, um, or for young girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, and also that, I think his art and a model for how men should treat women. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like, and for him, he's like, there's one line where he says, like, it's a role model, especially for boys who are, you know, who need to grow up respecting strong women, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, so I think all of that is great. I do think that, uh, the, you know, we've had so many superhero movies and it's like, I didn't grow up reading them. I don't really care, but I do find like the actual origins of where these superhero characters come from kind of interesting. And I think that this movie does an okay job at the very least of being like, this is where it came from. Yeah. You know, and also once again, normalizing the conditions in which, uh, in which it comes from, like the scene that you mentioned earlier, like the one where Elizabeth is just like, you know, like no one's ever going to publish this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. Uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman opens next 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 week, but we're posting this tomorrow, I believe. So, <laughs> no, right? Can I see? Yeah, yeah. We're posting this tomorrow, so go see it when it comes out. Yeah, you can, um, is history spoilers? Did we just, can we really spoil this movie when it actually happened? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we could provide a spoiler, like, warning, I guess, in the beginning. I don't know. Sure. Sure. Whatever. Retroactive spoilers, everybody. (laughs) Go back and unlisten. Go back in time. Um... And go see Design for Living as well if you're. Yeah, out on Criterion, see, so probably yeah. available. I don't know what's available on Filmstruck because we don't have it here, but possibly available on Filmstruck because mm-hmm. it is out on Criterion. Um, or wherever you find your Criterions. Yeah. Whatever that source may be. 